Uh, open with us to uh, Matthew 5 is where we'll uh, begin. Matthew 5, we're walking through the, the Beatitudes. And before we, before we do that, I just want um, to speak to the fact that in this, in this world, in this uh, climate and environment that we find ourselves in today, this world of uh, a dooming election that's coming up in this world of COVID-19, which, which has affected our local body. Let me, let me just say it. Because if one church is affected by COVID-19, then all churches are affected by COVID-19 because we are one body under one spirit through one Savior. And so when another body is hurting, when another body is, is, is in pain, when another body experiences the, the, the effects of sin and brokenness and disease and pain, then we all do. And, and there are churches in this community right now that are affected, that aren't meeting this morning like we are. And what grace is it that we get to meet? How dependent are we on God that we get to meet? And so I'm going to just stop, and, and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for Plymouth Wesleyan. I'm going to pray for Crossroads. I'm going to pray for all other local bodies. I'm going to pray that the Lord would protect them, heal them, guide them, and shape them. And that they wouldn't rely on Sunday morning to give them something only Christ can and so wants to. So let's just bow with me and just pray with me. Father, we come to you on behalf of your body, your bride. Where there is pain, may you meet them. Where there is discomfort, may you bring comfort. You are a father of many mercies and they're new every morning and they're infinite. You comfort us in all of our affliction whatever we're going through, and may you do that with those at Plymouth Wesleyan Church and Crossroads and Trinity and, and all other churches in Plymouth and, and expanded beyond. Would you comfort those who need comforted? Those who are afraid, would you bring peace? Those who are angry, would you bring softness? Those who are frustrated, may you bring relief. Jesus, you want to disciple us, and we look to you as the one who is active and living, willing to teach us, guide us, shape us, and transform us, but we are dependent upon you. So God, would you be with the church? Would you be with your bride? And would you unite us all the more? Use what the world sees as foolishness, as your wisdom and your strength. We are weak, and you are strong. We are dependent upon you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. And, 
And, and th- that's why this is, this is just the, the power of God's word. The power of God's word is to tell you the truth about yourself and to also provide the solution for that truth. The power of God's word is to tell you the diagnosis, but also provide the prognosis and the solution. And what, we'll see, what we see in the Beatitudes is we can approach God boldly. We can approach him in, in, in all of his mercy. He will receive, receive us. If your heart is dead, he has mercy to awaken it. If you are sick, he has mercy to heal. In your sin, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. So we can approach him boldly to find the grace that our soul is longing for. Because know it or not, that longing that we're all experiencing this morning, that, that God-sized vacuum in your soul is the longing and wooing of God to bring you to himself. Because he loves you. And it's why in the Beatitudes we read, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. All of the situations you've been in, everything that you are like, I think that was God. I think he protected me. I think that he, I saw him in, in that sunrise that you saw this morning or the mountains you went to go see on vacation. All of that is God drawing you to himself to see him that every longing you have this morning is only complete in him. The prodigal son, when he was hungry, went and ate with the pigs. But when he was starving, he went to the feet of the father. When he was hungry, when he felt the the effects of what he did and his decisions, he went to go eat with the pigs. But then he wakened up. When he came to his senses in Luke 15, he went to the feet of the father. And what did he receive? After he screwed everything up, everything He ruined his life and he hurt his father. Did he receive scorn and shame from his father? He received a loving embrace. And not just that, not just that. He received a celebration that he came home. And so brother and sister, there is nothing stopping you from coming home but you. And this morning, you can hear This is the difference between knowing God's love and experiencing God's love. You can hear that honey is sweet, right? You can study the chemical breakdown of honey, can't you? Some of you are nerds like me and have. You can know it. You can know it on paper. You can see it and how it's broken down. You're like, yep, honey is sweet. Or, or you can taste it and know its sweetness. My son, Luke, we go to the pool over the summer often, and uh, he's crazy. If you don't know him, he's crazy. He'll do anything. Um, he's uh, a daredevil, and at the edge of the pool, but at the beginning of his learning how to operate within the confines of a pool, he was a little worried, and I'm in the pool, and I'm coaxing him. You're going to be okay, son. You're going to be okay. Dad will catch you. Dad will catch you. Just trust me. Trust me, and he will hear that dad will catch him all he wants, but what's the only way that he know his dad is going to catch him? What's the one way? What's he have to do? He's got to jump in, you want to hear that God loves you? You want to hear that and study the facts and the knowledge of God's love for his people, you and I? There's a difference between knowing about God's love and experiencing God's love. And it's a difference between life and death. One will have a facade of life and the other will bring you life. 
It's like what, what Steve said in, the, in the, uh, his tes- the testimony video of Steve and Jamie Hollum, that it's one thing to know the peace and read about the peace of, that transcends all understanding, and it's another thing to experience it. And in the Beatitudes, what we, what we see is that faith, look at verse 8, which is our text for today. Faith is not of the head, but of the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The thing about faith is not of the head, but of the heart. The people reading the text, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Sadducees, and all of those are listening, would see that the the heart is the center of their being, not the head. Their core drive and their motives and their center, it's not just the emotive thrust in their life, but it's the center of who they are. Today's world says that we're rational beings, right? That you're driven by what you know. So just know enough, and then you'll be able to solve all your problems. But what, what we find is time and time again is that when someone who smokes cigarettes, for example, you can tell them, hey, stop smoking, it's not good for you. You could even break it down via facts. Every cigarette you smoke, you lose 7 to 11 minutes of your life. So, so they know, they hear, they're hearing the facts. They could even do the research for themselves, but guess what? They're still going to smoke. Why? Because it's not merely head knowledge that's going to drive them to stop smoking. They must experience in their heart of hearts, in their core motivations, a change that they no longer crave that cigarette. Something must replace their desire and their longing for that cigarette. Something must replace So because knowing in your head is different than believing in your heart, because your heart is what drives you. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16 quickly. From beginning to end, the Bible's emphasis is on the heart, not outward appearance. God's emphasis is to love you enough to deal with the inner being, with who you are, not what you do. Look at verse 7 of 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Go ahead and crossfit all you want. Go ahead and work as hard as you can on appearing right, on looking good. Go ahead and study all of the facts, but you still have a problem, and it's a problem of the heart. Your works cannot save you. Your doing cannot save you. I don't care how fit you are. (laughs) In this week's Beatitude in verse 8, back to Matthew 5, or just go on a rabbit trail and study what you just saw there and let the Lord take you wherever he wants. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's it's important to note here that a claim of anyone being able to see God and surviving would be an outlandish claim in the Jewish time at that time, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish audience. And and if you just want a few examples, Genesis 32, turn there if you would like, or just, I'd rather have you turn there, so turn there. Verse 30 of Genesis 32. This is Jacob wrestling with God. This is deceiver, conniving, cheat, 
which is Jacob's name translated, wrestling with God. And look what happened. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, face to face, and yet my life was spared. Moses in Exodus 33, just a little bit further on. <clears throat> Exodus 33, verse 20. This is, man, Exodus 33, if you, if, I encourage you to sit there for a moment. The, the Lord God said, I, I will go with you. Trust me, I will go with you. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go before me, we have no hope. For what hope do we have? You're what makes us unique. I'm not going if you're not going before us. And, and then look, verse 20, but he said, so, so in verse 19, just to give it context, the Lord said, I will cause my goodness, all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The Jewish people back in Matthew 5 would hear what Jesus just said here, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And they would, they would think it's outlandish. It's a crazy claim. And each time someone got a, even just a glimpse of God in scripture, I'm thinking of Isaiah 6, they were unraveled and transformed forever. Thinking Manoah in Judges 13 verse 22 he told his wife, we should prepare to die. We saw God face to face. We should prepare to die. Even Peter in Luke 5, 8, if you just want to write that down and study it later, begged the Lord to depart from him, for him from his presence, because the gap of God's holiness in Christ and Peter's sinfulness felt too much for Peter to bear. So in other words, the Lamb of God, God is the Lamb, is also the Lion, he is as fierce as he is tender, as strong as he is approachable, as threatening as he is loving. This is, this is so cool. If any of you are, again, uh, nerds, and I mean that in the most positive sense, and you love C.S. Lewis and you love Chronicles of Narnia, there's a quote in the book of Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I can't remember which one, but it, it goes as this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall, foul, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. There's this reverence that comes with knowing that God is as approachable as he is threatening. He is as fierce as he is tender. There's this reverence of God's holiness that apart from Christ, we cannot stand before him. So the question we must ask ourselves this morning, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, is how can we see God? How, in my, in my sin, how can I see him? Because my soul is longing to see him. Turn with me to Psalm 42. <clears throat> Verse 1. If, if, 
If you were to be honest with yourself and you were to just see the, the previous lines of poor in spirit and you were to mourn, you bring nothing to the table and you were to mourn over the brokenness and sin in your own heart and you were to be meek and realize that humility is the path to life, not pride. And you were to hunger and thirst, not after things of this world, but after him. How can we stand if we were to be honest with ourselves? If I were to be honest with me, I am full of sin. How can I stand? My soul longs to stand before him. Look at the psalmist here in verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? You keep reading if you'd like. So our soul's utmost desire is to be with God, to be meeting with God, to be intimate with God, to see Him, to long to be with Him. So how can we see God? Well, we realize we must be changed. If sin can't stand before a holy God, if God, because God is so holy and God is so mighty and God is so powerful, sin cannot stand before Him. And if that's the case, then we have a big problem, church. How do we change so that we may stand before God? The Beatitudes, I believe, helps us answer this question. Because, look at this, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And if you find yourself, like I do every time I read these, I think, how can I ever truly be poor in spirit? How can I ever truly be mourning? How can I ever really be meek? How can I ever really thirst and hunger for righteousness and righteousness alone? How can I ever really be merciful? How can I ever really be pure in heart? If you're asking those questions as you read the Beatitudes, look, look at me really quickly. It's the whole point. It's the whole point. You can't be on your own. You can't be on your own. You need help. You need a change. How can I be pure in heart? Well, by receiving a new heart in Christ. I can't make my heart pure. I tried. Have you? I need a heart transplant. I need all of this that I don't have. We obtain a new heart, not by merely an imitation of Christ, but by an incorporation into him. You can't get a pure heart by trying to be like Jesus. You, can, you get a pure heart by being incorporated into Jesus, by receiving him from by grace, by grace what you possibly can't get to yourself, give to yourself. The Beatitudes then do two things. Remember, they're a mirror to drive us to salvation. So if you're not a believer this morning and you're coming to terms with that, the invitation for you is to receive a righteousness that you don't have, and it's found in Christ and him alone. And if you are a believer this morning, the invitation is for you to be driven into transformation, not by your strength, but by his. To be sanctified, an ongoing sanctification. Peter Kreft says the Sermon on the Mount not only comes from Jesus, but leads to Jesus. It leads us to Jesus who alone can fulfill them in us if we let him. The sermon is an arrow and Jesus is the bullseye. 
The Beatitudes are there to show us our need for Jesus. He alone can fulfill this in us if we let him. Now, look, we went to the fifth Beatitude right above, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. And the fifth Beatitude turns the corner because the ones before that are an emptying. You are empty before God. And the fifth Beatitude changes and turns the corner to being filled by God. So, having been received the kingdom, having been comforted, verse 4, having been promised the world, verse 5, having been filled, we then flow to the world out of the overflow of what we've received in Christ. This is the flow, empty before God and so filled by him. But there's one thing that clenched fists cannot do. I say this often and you probably know it. Clenched fists can't receive. And if you think that on your own strength, by your own might, that you can be presented before a holy God, that you can work your way to, the holy, to a holy God, you're clenched fists. You're not receiving from him what he so desires to give you. It is what separates every other religion from Christianity. Every other religion says, work hard enough and work your way up to God. And the gospel says, he has come down to you to give you what you can't work or do on your own. Praise God. That's really good news, isn't it? And so here's this beatitude. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Christ is dealing with men's spirits, with their spiritual nature. This one here strikes at the very center of what Christ is saying in the beatitudes. He doesn't say blessed are the pure in language. He doesn't say blessed are the pure in action or in behavior. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. See, for the, those listening, remember the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Sadducees, the religious people of that day, the problem wasn't their behavior. Their problem was their heart. Look at Matthew 23 with me. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The, the Pharisees love the idea, back to Matthew 5, love the idea of blessed are the pure, as long as the statement stopped right there. Because they were experts in outward purity. 613 commandments of the Old Testament, nailed every single one of them, and added to them. <laughs> I don't know, I, listen, you give me 613 things to do, I'm going to do the opposite of all 613 things of those. Don't tell me to not press that red button. I'm pressing it, right? The Pharisees were experts. They had rules and regulations covering what you ate and what you wore and how far, far you could walk on the Sabbath and so on. They scored an A-plus at being outwardly pure, but they flunked out on inward purity. To them, this B attitude would be something like this. Blessed are the outwardly clean, for they shall see God. Jesus turned the tables on the Pharisees' own. This is the genius of Christ. This is the genius of Jesus. He used their own language to condemn them. 
What they were using to justify themselves, Jesus was using to condemn them. Look, look at just blessed are the poor in spirit. So blessed are those who know they have nothing to bring. So by proxy, by stating a positive, then, he's undoing if you're not poor in spirit. He's saying you're not blessed if you're not poor in spirit. Jesus is using their own language against them. To be pure in heart, then, is best of all. See, Pharisees wanted to be pure in body, but this is outside in living. Jesus wants us to be living from the inside out. To be pure in heart, then, is best of all because it takes care of the external in the right way. Inside out living. If you are pure in heart, you will be pure everywhere. To be pure in heart means to be changed from the inside out. Look at Jesus back in Matthew 23. Look at Jesus' announcement in verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. <laughs> Blind Pharisee. First clean the outside, inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. He's saying you would rather be outwardly seen as righteous than inwardly righteous. You'd rather have people see your righteousness rather than actually be righteous. Jesus then turns the tables on the Pharisees. And listen, the same is true for us. My, my intense drive in my life, in my flesh, is for you to see me as the example in my sin, I want you to look up to me. In my sin, I want you to think that you must be like me. And if we were honest, I think we're all a little bit like that. I'm just up here speaking, so you hear it from me. We may attend church, we may sing the songs, and we may even raise our hands at the right moment. We may read the word every day. We may Pray every minute of every day, but never really engage with the Father and be changed by Jesus because true transformation comes from the inside out, not outside in. We'll see that behavior and outward appearances are not what the Father is after. He desires a fully devoted heart. He calls for a unified, undefiled heart, a heart that seeks to see Him. Back to Matthew 5. A heart that is single-minded in devotion to him. Not what this world has to offer. Not what more stuff that this world can bring you. But to him and him alone. It's to be single-minded. People followed a ceremony and a ritual and tradition. They did what their culture said was right back then. And we still do the same thing. They were content to meet the external standards and of the culture and observations. And Jesus stops them and stops us in our tracks and says, stop it. Stop merely just showing up because it's just what you do. I want your heart more than I want your behavior because if I have your heart, your behavior will follow. Stop just cleaning up the outside of the cup. It doesn't work. Look at Amos chapter 5 verse 21. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. The, the unity of Scripture and the glue of Scripture and the overall uh, 
cohesiveness of scripture is mind-boggling to me. Over and over and over again, you'll see threads connected. Over and over, it's, I mean, thousands, 60,000 of threads are connected from Old Testament to New Testament. They are not separate stories. They are one story telling of a good God who saved us in and through Christ. And it's all about Jesus. And so when you see the language of Jesus in Matthew, and you look at the language of Amos 5, specifically verses 21 and 23, we read this. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Some really harsh language. God is actually telling the people, and maybe he's telling us the same thing, I'd rather have you not show up if you're just doing it for an external show. I'd rather have you not play me music if it's just because you want to be seen. I'd rather have you not offer me sacrifices if you're overlooking your own sin. Because if you, if you look and you continue to read in, in Amos... Look at verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though, is that my phone? Thanks, Tyler. You know what to do. There you go. That's good. I probably is. Look, look, verse 19. Let's just get right back on track. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. You are presuming grace upon the Lord when you haven't even been repentant over your own sin. You're longing for a day as if you're looking for rest and you put your hand on the wall and what comes? You longing for the day in return of the Lord is not good news for you. It's bad news. Why? Because you're overlooking your own sin and you're overlooking injustices around you. You put your hand on the wall and a snake bites you. You think you're running from a lion and you're safe only to meet a bear. It's not good news for you. So I'd rather have you not. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Without the internal substance, all of it is hollow. Hollow people participating in hollow exercises. And church, hear me. We have got to let Jesus sit in this chair right here and look around and us be willing to hear these words. For us to presume that we're doing it right, for us to presume that we're pure in heart, actually reveals that we're not. We have got to give room to Jesus to let him sit in the front row of this church and say, stop it! Stop just showing up! Stop just doing it because it's what your family tradition has been done, done, before, done before. Stop just doing it because you want to be seen. Stop just doing it because you want to be seen as something that you're not. Stop it. I'd rather have you not show up. We have got to give him room to be able to tell us that, church. I have got to give myself space for him to be able to tell me that I'm just doing this for my own glory. 
And if I think, no, never, never would I ever do that, I probably am. Do you see that? For me to constantly be questioning before I even preach a sermon, God, am I doing this for your glory or mine? Because if it's for mine, I'm not doing it. If I just want to be heard, then I'm out because you deserve all the glory and I deserve none of it. And I don't, listen to me, I love you all, but if you're, if you're attending this church because I am preaching and you then, if you hear that I'm not preaching on a Sunday morning and stop and you don't show up because I'm not preaching, we have a heart problem. We show up here not because of who's preaching, we show up here because of Jesus and no one, and nothing else. I'm not that great, nor is the next person in this pulpit. He's amazing. Show up for him. And if that means that there's another church with a better fit for you in that mindset, I would beg you to not go there. Because you'll just fall into the same trap of believing that your outward behavior is more important than your heart. I'm an average preacher I'm an average pastor. And so is the next person. So here's Jesus and he's saying, your heart matters, your heart matters, your heart matters. We, in Matthew 23, just you can reference that, we find a series of woes directed at these religious individuals. And the irony is that the behavior and ceremonies of the Pharisees were actually rooted in the Old Testament. They were attempts to be pure before God, but what they missed was purity standing right before them in Christ. (laughs) John 5, verse 39. John 5, verse 39. He's just, just look at it a little bit before just to get some context of who he's talking to. So he's, he's talking, when they found him on the other side, well, okay, just to jump in there, who is he talking about? He's talking to the, the law uh, abiders. He's talking to the scribes. He's talking to the Pharisees. And, and look at verse 39. He says this, and this is the will of him who sent me, or excuse me, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, and you have seen me, and still you do not believe, all those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven. Excuse me, I'm in John 6. Thank you. Somebody tell me. Guys, I get pumped up up here, and I just get going. Somebody needs to shout it. Goodness. I'm like trying to find it in my head. I'm like, that's not it. Look at verse 39. Let's just get to the point. Again, I'm not that great. Remember that. Proof. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He's he's saying... You, you are missing righteousness before you. You're missing the entire point of all of your scriptures you seek to follow. He's standing right in front of you, and it's all about me. Yet you would rather gain knowledge rather than see me. The Pharisees couldn't see it, though. They had grown content in attempting a type of purity on their own. And we are void of purity and attempts at it. Without the righteousness of Christ, we are hopeless. 
The, the first woe in Matthew 23 is meant to have an element of irony because the religious people were supposed to be guiding people into heaven rather than keeping them out of heaven. And they did this by promoting a righteousness through works and by not denying their need for Christ, causing people to work for their own salvation rather than to receive it in the gospel. And if you want to reference and, and add on Revelation 3, verse 15 through 18 is a good text to just piggyback off of that. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then, hear this, our behavior then will reveal our faith. Our works, our fruits, will display the root of our heart. Blessed are those who are pure, says one pastor who paraphrases this. Not only on the surface, but in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. That word pure is literally catharos, and it's where we get our word catharsis. And it's of single-minded obsession. Of single-minded devotion. Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Nothing else and no one else will give you what he will give you. Be single-minded in your devotion. That's why James, in James 4, 8, if you just turn there, I'm, I understand that we're jumping, but we got to let the Bible unpack the Bible. James, chapter 4, verse 8, God through James writes, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify, you, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the opposite of, of purity, the opposite of Matthew 5 pure, then is double-minded, mixed. You have some metal and you have some alloy. You have some grain and you have some chaff. It doesn't work. You have, let me put it like this, maybe you have skim milk, which is just water pretending to be milk. You have, it's like dark chocolate, which is tree bark pretending to be chocolate. Right? Like, I want the real thing. I don't want that skim milk. Give me whole. It's pure. It's single-minded. Blessed are the pure in heart. And what he's talking about is blessed are those who have integrity, not divided hearts, that don't have double hearts. It's singleness of heart, God desires a heart that is unmixed in its devotion and motivation. You can't love the world and love God. It doesn't work. They don't mix. Catharos gives us our English word catharsis. And, and then look at Psalm 51 with me as we land this plane. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, this is David crying out to God. He, he's confronted with his sin by his, his brother, his friend, who loves him enough to call him out on his sin. And he, and he says, David, you are that man. You are the man that you just condemned. That's you, what you did. And David is broken by it. And look at what he says in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here is the ultimate problem that we face. We can change our behavior all we want. We can stop doing that, stop doing this or that. We can have good deeds and do all that we would summarize a good person to exhibit. And yet, we can even learn everything there is to know about God. We can have all the knowledge of him and know all the facts of him. And yet we still have a problem because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. If pure heart means single devotion, then I have mixed. And there lies the problem. And this is the beauty of God's word. He doesn't just tell us the problem and he doesn't say deal with it. He tells us the problem. He diagnoses the problem clearly so we can finally be honest with ourselves. And then he gives us the solution. It's the greatest part about the gospel. He doesn't say, you have a problem and walk away from us. You are filthy and walk away from us. You smell, walk away from us. No, he actually presses in and says, let me wash you. I'll do it for you. You just have to let me. Matthew 5. You just have to see your need. You just have to know that you come empty-handed You just have to know that you're poor in spirit. You just have to see it. You have to see that you are the meek, that the meek will be blessed, that those who hunger and thirst not after more stuff but after Jesus will be blessed. So that word heart in verse 8 is where we get the word cardiac, cardia. Whatever then is going, Luke 6.45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart, of the heart, his mouth speaks. So whatever is going on on the inside will eventually come out. The more we invest in heart change on the inside, the more we will experience lasting change and fulfillment on the outside. The world's way of thinking is this. If I could just stop doing blank, if I could just modify my behavior then, if I could just chop off the weeds of what everyone else sees, then my lawn will look better. It's behavior modification. We are not outside-in people. We are inside-out people. When we feel something is wrong with us, we most try to fix the problem by doing. So we change our schedule. We start crossfitting. We start eating better. We tell ourselves that we'll exercise more and eat better, spend less time on our phones, even, to show, even show up to church more than two times a month. We try to change the inside by cleaning up the outside. It's the exact same problem Jesus had with the Pharisees. They professed to be something that they were not. Externally, they did everything right, yet how did he refer to them as? Whitewashed tombs. And what is a tomb for? Dead. The dead. Yet it looks really nice. Maybe some of us are seeing that you are actually dead yet breathing. And maybe some of you are dying before you die instead of truly living life. And Jesus is saying there's a better way. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Why does Jesus say we should be pure? Because it's our inner being. It's the root of all of our actions. The Bible is honest with us about our problem. It presents us with the bad news so that we may receive the good news. And so as we end, turn with me to Psalm 24. And I promise you this time I'm going to land the plane. Some of you are still saying, no, you're not. 
And, and this may feel like I'm going to land uh, the entire message on a, um, on a heavy note, and it's intentional. Because I believe that this be attitude wants us to go inward. I believe that this attitude wants us to go introspective. I believe that this attitude forces us and catapults us to finally deal with the inner workings of our heart. Verse 20, or Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Answer those questions, like, honestly about yourself. It ain't me. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Not me. Who may stand in his holy place? It's not me. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. The only way that we can be before God is with clean hands and a pure heart. And now that's a problem. Because if you were to finally be honest with yourself, you were to say, I don't have a pure heart and I don't have clean hands. Who's going to go before me? It's the beauty of the thrust of Matthew 5, verse 8. We need someone to go on our behalf. And in the good news of the gospel, we need Jesus to clean our hands and to purify our hearts. In the good news of the gospel, we need his death on the cross as a covering for our sin. But then one, then there's this picture. Once we placed our faith in Christ, it's that we walk out in holiness. We walk with clean hands. And whenever we are dirty, our hands in sin, in all kinds of different ways, we come before God and we go to him with confidence and we ask him for grace to cover our sins. We ask him for forgiveness. We confess those sins and we ask him to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness which is many because our sins are many and his mercy is more we need this every day before God we need an examination of our hearts it is impossible to have a clean heart without the power of Jesus hear me it is impossible by your own works by your own effort to have a clean heart apart from the power and strength of Christ you can't do it but he can that's why it's good news the gospel isn't just for the moment we believe we need the gospel every moment of our lives our hearts are then made new by the power of the Holy Spirit the moment we believe, they're renewed as we pursue the Spirit day by day by day. One degree of glory, one degree of change to the next. Ezekiel 36, you can read it, says that we, God will do it. God will put a new heart. God will give us a new heart of flesh from the heart of stone. You want to see God. You want to truly see Him. You look to Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is the promise attached to the purity of heart? You will see God. Your longing is to see him. Your longing is to be with him. That longing cannot be filled by that person sitting beside you or that substance you put in your body or that career success you're longing and dreaming for. That longing can only be fulfilled by seeing God. And in Christ, we now have the ability to. 
The beautiful reality of the gospel is that God is concerned about your heart. And here in the scandal of the gospel, we're revealed our problem, which is myself. Our sin is our problem. We can do nothing about it. And in his love for you and me, God sent Jesus to live the life we never could, to die the death that we deserve, to conquer the grave so that your sin no longer enslaves you. Hallelujah. Amen. So you finally can get to the root of what's really going on with yourself. But listen to me, as we end, you avoid, you and I avoid to make space for our heart. Do you know, I was just talking with somebody, do you know that we now have an attention span the same as a goldfish? Seven seconds. The human attention span is now seven seconds. And since 2007, that's went down from 25 seconds to seven seconds iPhone released, Facebook released. We don't make space for our hearts. We don't make space to be honest, to slow down and let God examine us. We don't do that. We avoid it at all costs because it's scary to imagine what might be the reality of your heart. So my questions to you is where and what ways are you being challenged to grow? In what ways are you not slowing down and acknowledging what needs to be changed? In what ways and what things need uprooted in your heart that's stopping you from seeing him for who he is? What in you is impure that needs purity of Christ? So in 30 seconds here as we end, and we do this just open hand, receive from God what he's saying because we believe he's speaking. And listen to what he's saying. What your longing is to stand before him. So in what ways are you working for purity instead of receiving the purity of Jesus? What ways are you rushing to overlook what needs dealt with? 30 seconds, we'll sing and get out. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Guys, I pray that we would, as we end this worship, if you need to stay you know, in your seat and reflect on impurity, if you need to reflect on the ways that you have not dealt with the inner workings of your soul, if you need to confess what you need to confess, if you need prayer, just take this last song and just give it to him, and uh, I'll come back up and lead us out.